Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Good morning and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and owner and operator of Next Steps for Seniors, the business located in Rochester, Michigan, As you all know, seniors are near and dear to my heart. I have such a passion for them. And every week we do our best to bring pertinent information to you and to your families. I want to open up um, this week with uh, just something that you can do to help us. I also started a Next Steps for Seniors Foundation. And on Facebook, there is an opportunity to vote for our foundation to receive a $10,000 grant. And I just want to encourage encourage those of you who are listening today, if you could please do me that favor. We are trying so hard to help our low-income seniors. Chief Financial is offering a grant, and believe it or not, it's based on how many votes you get. So I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. So please go on Facebook Next Steps, the number four seniors foundation and place a vote. And guess what? You can vote as many times as you want. We only have eight days left to vote. So please, we need you. We need the 10,000 to help more seniors. That's my ask today. But I also have a very special program designed for you today. We have a, a wonderful lady from Novi in the studio today. It's House Representative Crawford. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. She has an enormous amount of experience. Uh, She was the founder of the Novi Senior Center and also, respectively, 35 different senior senators she did all the programming for. She has a heart and a passion for our elderly, and I'm so blessed that you, you're here with us today. I know you had a long ride, but it's, it's so important that you know, we take these opportunities to share from our heart about what's happening in, in legislature, really, with our seniors and what's going on. So before I ask her a few questions, we both just got notification So in the next segment, we're going to share something that is fresh off the press. (laughs) But before that, um, Representative Crawford, I just wanted to ask, I mean, you've you've seen a lot the last four or five months. Share with our listeners a little bit about what your constituents are saying to you. 
Well, first of all, let me tell you that uh, I am, I have the privilege of being the oldest member in the Michigan State House at age 78. So um, not only have, have I been passionate and working for older adults, but I am an older adult myself. Well, you so, look amazing, just for the record. <laughs> well, I know you can't see us out there, but, you know, I think, um, you know, we've done pretty well. I mean, my goal has been to represent all of the seniors that have told me stories in my lifetime, and my grandparents lived with me when I was growing up. So I've always had um, a passion and a great concern about their challenges, the challenges of older adults. And now my friends and I are all older adults, and I see a lot of things going on in their life that I wish were different, you know. Um, So this has been such a huge challenge because data suggests, I mean, you can look anywhere um, in data that isolation is absolutely the worst thing for older adults. Cognitive decline is huge. When a person is just sitting by themselves, they're not socializing, uh, they're not getting out, depression sets in and also comes with that, or what comes with that is other physical um, ailments, you know, high blood pressure, stress, uh, everything. So isolation is absolutely the worst thing for older adults. So this isolation for the past seven months has been so destructive for older adults. And yet, you know, some of them, because we're older adults, we tend to follow orders. Um, We are not people to go against the grain. If the government tells us to do something or a doctor tells us, we tend to listen. And we want to obey. You know, we don't like to make waves. And if you're in your 90s, too, you know, a lot of this is just overwhelming. I mean, to leave where you live... Um, you know, is a big decision to make, as you know, because of your business. But I think um, the worst thing has been telling people they have to stay in their own rooms and they can't no longer, you know, and they're paying a lot of money, some of them, to live in some of these facilities uh, that has communal dining and they have a beauty shop and they have a pub and they have all of the things, sort of like a land cruise in a way. And they pay a lot of money to live in these places. And yet for the past seven months, None of that has happened. It's been so destructive. It has actually killed people because of stress and strokes and everything that's happened to them as a result of this isolation. That has been the biggest problem. And and just to add to that, they don't understand. There's many people, like you mentioned, that are in memory care communities and nursing homes that have cognitive decline, and they truly do not understand why their loved ones are standing outside the window or have a mask on. It's very confusing. Yeah, one family member did tell me that she said she was told that she could stand outside her mom's window because her mom was in memory care, which is nursing care. Um, She could stand outside the window, but she must wear a mask. You know, the window is not open. The window is shut. So she couldn't even, her mom couldn't even hear her voice. And the and she was told, well, you can use a cell phone and call her. But her mom had just had a stroke. And she couldn't use a cell phone and wouldn't know, because of her dementia, wouldn't really know what how to use it, right? Right. So it was a difficult thing. She said, I know my mom would be frightened to see someone standing outside her window wearing a mask and waving. She wouldn't understand it. It would be very scary. And because she's alone, you know, and there's no staff person there telling her this is your 
this is your daughter or whatever, it's very, very traumatic, I guess is the best way to put it. So a lot of family members have been telling me that it, it has caused it, their their mom or dad or, or uncle or whomever mm-hmm. that's in one of these facilities has gone downhill dramatically. You know, they started out in, in independent living and because of this crisis now have moved on. If they are on a, in a facility that has assisted living now, many of them have had to move into uh, more care, you know, have had to get more care, more in-home support. Well, and, and just like in any situation, the more um, docile we become and complacent and yeah. we're not moving yeah. around, we're not active, we're not activating our minds and our bodies, right. it could it would happen to anybody. Yes. And then add the years onto that. It's just yeah. so sad. Yeah, one one lady told me, I I am a prisoner. She said, I can. I am allowed to walk outside wearing a mask when the weather was good, you know, now we're going into winter time, but she was allowed to walk outside, but she wasn't allowed to converse with anyone. I mean, they, she said, I am a prisoner here, but she said, I'm 94. And she said, I thought this would be the last place I would live. And I, the thought of moving and leaving this place is overwhelming. I just, I can't, I can't think about it. I just want it to change. I want to go to the beauty shop and get my hair done. I want to go to the pub and, you know, have a glass of wine. I, I have got to get out. She said, I absolutely have to be outside. You know, I have to I talk, have to, to, talk to someone. I yes. need to talk to someone. Uh, because this, many of them are just the mental stress on isolation uh, for people is just gigantic. It's been huge. You it's know. been huge. Some of them have really broken out of it. I mean, they have, they have demanded, demanded that they be able to go to the dining room, you know, maybe even if they've got to sit with one or two people and have them they'll sit six feet apart or mm-hmm. whatever, they'll do it. Or they stand on their balconies and they chat across their balcony to someone. They've, they've gotten pretty creative. Yes. But I, I can't tell you. I mean, there have been several of them that said to me, I would rather have COVID, even though they don't know what the outcome would be. I would rather have COVID then live like this. I cannot live like this. You know, if you're in your 50s and you you think like you're beginning to say, well, I'm not the same person I was when I was 30 years old. But if you think if you're in your 90s, a month in the life of a 90-year-old is very, very different than a month in the life of a 50-year-old. Very different. Every moment is precious and every moment counts. And it's um, that's what's really tragic because most of these people that live in independent living and live in assisted living are in their 80s and 90s. So I want to share with the listeners, because I think this is really, um, it's, it's critical and I want you to know, Representative Crawford has such a passion for seniors that she has gone out into these communities. They've put, they've put tents up and brought the seniors out six feet apart so she could personally have conversations with our seniors. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for caring. And thank you for making an effort in doing something. So many people are just talking, but you're actually physically taking action. You're talking to our seniors. You're making a way to have conversations with them and to hear how At least it gives them some hope. I mean, that's what people were telling me. There's some hope. Uh, if they're talking, but you know what, just caring and listening is not enough. I mean, we really need to 
to have some action. It's there time. has to be action. Absolutely. It is time to do something. So we're going to talk in the next segment, and, and we have a couple uh, guests today, and I think it's important to, to hear from a, a number of different representatives. But we're going to talk in the next segment about some of the, the things, the action items that we've been able to do and that um, Representative Crawford has spearheaded. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. We'll be right back with you. Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with spinal stenosis? I'm Dr. Marion McMillan, Medical Director of Synergy Spine, Michigan. Spinal stenosis affects 50% of people over age 60. Patients with spinal stenosis cannot stand, walk, or enjoy normal activities without severe pain in the back, hips, and legs. Now, spinal stenosis can be treated through a lighted tube no larger than a pencil without the risk or expense of major spinal surgery with rods, plates, or screws. The endoscopic surgical procedure is performed on outpatients in about an hour. Patients go home the same day and can resume normal activities in just a few days. It's the modern alternative to major spinal surgery. Contact Synergy Spine Michigan toll-free at 833-770-8100 or at SynergySpineMichigan.com. That's 833-770-8100 or SynergySpineMichigan.com. The following is a public notice for people suffering with fibromyalgia symptoms. Researchers from the University of Illinois College of Medicine have developed the first definitive blood test for the biomarkers of fibromyalgia. Those who test positive may qualify for an FDA-approved clinical trial of a breakthrough symptom-eliminating treatment. Previously, a fibromyalgia diagnosis could not be confirmed. Now, participants can have definitive confirmation of this debilitating disease. The test is covered by nearly all insurance plans, and FM Test can even arrange to have your blood test done by a licensed medical professional in the comfort and security of your own home. If you suffer from chronic fatigue, mental fogginess, or chronic pain, it may be fibromyalgia. This opportunity to get the first and only definitive test. If you test positive, you could be among the first to receive a breakthrough treatment formulated to eliminate all fibromyalgia symptoms. Space is limited, so go now to yourfmtest.com. That's yourfmtest.com. Yourfmtest.com. You have all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to my listeners. Just go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, they are offering buy one, get one free on a variety of their amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, Giza Dreams Sheets, MyPillow Towels, Roll and Go Anywhere Pillows, Duvet Covers, Giza Pillowcases, Bolster Pillows, Neck Pillows, plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a $25 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com and enter the promo code WDTK. That's MyPillow.com, promo code WDTK. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with the global coronavirus pandemic. They will be making face masks for hospitals across the country. In the 2016 race for president, Donald Trump was not the first choice for many Christian voters. His personal history made it unimaginable that he would defend Christian values as president. Or so we thought. In his new book, For God and Country, The Christian Case for Trump, Dr. Ralph Reed shows that President Trump has kept his promises and has been the most effective presidential defender of religious liberty and the pro-life cause since Ronald Reagan and perhaps all of U.S. history. In For God and Country, Reed pushes back against left-wing evangelicals trying to shame Christians into 
to turning against Trump, revealing how liberals hope to reverse President Trump's pro-religious freedom policies, why President Trump is the most pro-Israel president in history, and why that should matter to all Christians in America. With first-hand personal and professional anecdotes from Dr. Reed's decades of work with President Trump, For God and Country is required reading in this election year, and for every conservative Christian. For God and Country, The Christian Case for Trump, the new book by Dr. Ralph Reed, published by Regnery, available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. And as we were talking in the last segment, we're here today with State Representative uh, Kathy Crawford. We are very blessed to have her in the studio today, sharing from her heart uh, her desire to help seniors. She is also the chair of Families, Children, and Seniors Policy Committee, Um, So you can see all the different things that she has been doing uh, proactively to try to support our seniors. So what I wanted to do, Representative Crawford, is just ask your opinion, because there are a lot of different movements that have been taking place over the course of the last few months. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the task force that was created? I know that they gave, I I believe it was uh, the governor created the task force, and they gave a proposal on August 31st of some recommendations. Can you tell us a little bit of your feelings on that? Um, First of all, just to give you a little bit of background information, uh, I would like for everyone out there to know that the state legislature was busy during the time that all these executive orders were, were being developed and were being sent out. We pleaded with the governor to please listen because we were hearing from uh, all of our constituents in our districts, and we, that includes health providers, um, people that are serving the community, all the hospital people. Um, we were hearing from all of them as to what was going on in the community. And we believe that the governor, you know, the governor should have some emergency powers. We believe that is a fact because she could operate quickly and fast. But seven months is too long without any kind of input from the people of the state. We represent the people, the people's voice. And uh, we, we sent, um, we developed over 200 pieces of legislation, over 200, you think about that, during this past seven months. And we got them passed through the House. It went to committees and then it was discussed and it passed the House and it went on to the Senate. And the Senate discussed and passed it through the Senate. And then these pieces of legislation were sent to the governor's desk and they were all vetoed over 200 pieces of legislation you put together over 200 pieces yes yes as as a conglomerate and you present it went through all the courses of action that there it needs to go through and was presented and every single one was vetoed yes yes so the task force then was created because there was so much static i think uh there was so much discussion and so many um people contacting her office because we finally were just telling people call the governor i mean call the governor really what what else can we do i had a press conference in novi because of what was going on in a nursing home in my area and the other nursing homes in the area to talk about what was really you know we're we're in the front lines here this is what's really happening in our communities. Where's the public outrage when so many people die? And then you're still sending contagious people back to a nursing home. It's, 
it doesn't make sense because many of them have have roommates. You send a contagious person back and you suggest to them that they have a special wing. Well, most of these nursing homes don't have a special wing that doesn't have anybody in it. They could, they don't they can't just immediately convert a wing of their you know their their facility to just covid. And they all have they have the same kitchens, they have the same air that they, they breathe. So it was just it was like a petri dish of problems in nursing homes and people were being infected constantly and that went on for almost seven months that went on for a long time even though we were pleading with her please don't send people back to the nursing home so finally she set up this task force and it was made up of professionals and people from her own departments and also uh, two state representatives and i believe one or two senators were on the committee on the task force and from both sides of the aisle, um, and they made their recommendations in August, and nothing happened. You know, the governor did not do anything with the recommendations from her own task force that she set up. Why? Now, are these, are these recommendations made public to our listeners? Is there a way yes, they can Yes, I mean, look they've at... been online. They have okay. been online, and people could actually look at them. But it had to do with, I mean, one of them, one that was a major one, was the fact that you keep we can no longer send people back to the nursing homes while they're still contagious unless that nursing home can have a separate, you know, it almost needs to be a separate facility. Mm -hmm. The governor did have hubs set up throughout the state. I think there was something like 21 hubs and we were supposed to be sending people to those hubs that were infected. But if there wasn't a hub near you and hospitals were being told to send the person back to the nursing home, if that's where they came from, that's what they did. They did that. And I had 41 people die in one nursing home, and they were within two miles of the field hospital at Suburban Collection Showplace. Within two miles of the, of so the field hospital. So do we know hospital, why, why they were sent I to asked the, the question, versus the Suburban Showplace? I asked the question uh, of her department, DHHS, and I said, why couldn't these people go right from Providence Hospital, which is actually right across the street from Suburban Collection, the field hospital. And there are medical professionals there waiting for patients. And I was told that it isn't comfy enough. That was the word they used, comfy enough. And I said, many, most of these people from nursing homes are bedridden anyway. They can't, it, they can't get out, you know, and she said, well, they don't have a bathroom in their room and they don't have a, um, you know, they, they, it's not comfortable. And I said, if they're bedridden, it doesn't matter if they have a bathroom and a shower right there. If that's the case, there's an attached hotel. Make one whole floor of the hotel. That would be comfy enough. Send them there. Great idea. Didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I mean, we made suggestions right and left to do that. It just didn't happen. I, I think it, it was a horrible situation, and it's been uh, family members that have called me that they lost their loved ones in the nursing home. is tragic. It has been tragic. So moving forward, uh, COVID may be on the rise again, as we know. Um, we keep hearing that. We keep yes. hearing that. But if it is, okay, if that is true data and – what is the policy moving forward with COVID-positive patients? Well, now we have submitted, after the Supreme Court um, determination that the governor, um, it was unconstitutional for the governor to make all of these uh, emergency orders, continue them. I mean, we gave her, we gave her le- 
she could actually do it until April. We said, okay, you have until April uh, to make these emergency orders. But after that, you know, we've got to be involved in some way. But she just kept making emergency orders. And because she felt like she was, it was okay for her because of a 1945 law and a 1976 law. So we had to go through the courts to prove to her that that is not constitutional. Neither one of those would be constitutional. You can't continue having emergency orders. And where's Which the data? Prove, right? Where's the, where's the proof that we need to continue emergency orders? I think we would have even considered emergency orders if we knew what the data was and what's the evidence that we need to keep businesses locked down. Where is the evidence? And we were never given any data. And that's one of the things that we are demanding now. Where's the science? You know, tell us what numbers you're using. We will never know how many people have died from COVID in a nursing home because the nursing homes reported, they were asked to fill out a report to say how many people died. I mean, nursing homes and living facilities, older adult living facilities, are going to be reluctant to report how many people died on their watch, right? Right. They're going to be, you know, maybe this person died of something else. I don't know. Yeah. So so, so let me ask you this question then. Um, we, we did get some new information recently yes. that came out. Uh, we've got two minutes left, and then we have another guest coming on um, the last half of our program today. Can you share okay. just a tad about what's coming and... One of the things, yeah, one of the things that's coming that has been the the public outcry regarding visitations in nursing homes has been huge, and that's been a real serious problem. So from now on, I mean, if these bills are passed and signed by the governor, and I expect that they will be, um, if if there's an end of life, you know, if it's if a person's in hospice or end of life, there will be absolutely no restrictions on visitation. Family members are not going to have to, you know not be there yeah they're not going to have to stand outside there and so then there's going to be um if there's been no cases in the facility for 14 days then visitors will be allowed indoor visits will be allowed Uh, a lot of the restrictions now are going to be in place according to the county um if a county you know and of course every county is going to be very different what's going on in the up is going to be very different than oakland county you know we have a lot more people and other things so counties are going to be able to have a lot more input in because they can watch it closely and they'll have more input on whether people have to continue wearing face masks um and how we're going to proceed um visitation though is going to be it's going the restrictions a lot of the restrictions are going to be uh, loosened up and facilities themselves can impose stricter guidelines if they have um, if they have an increase in sickness or whatever and people can understand that family members will understand that families want protection you know for their family member but they also need to be there and especially it's so if a important person, yeah. we we truly need to be able to see yeah. our loved ones sure I, I am so thankful to have you here today I can't even tell you enough how much we appreciate your passion and your desire to help our seniors and all that you've done the last few months. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to move into our next segment with another state representative um, for the last two segments to get uh, her in, her take and information. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. We're looking forward to having you back on the radio soon. 
I'm Brian Kurtz, president of AIP Financial Services. A fixed annuity is similar to a CD at a bank. They both give you a guaranteed interest rate for a certain period of time and are very safe. Fixed annuities, though, typically pay a higher interest rate than CDs, and the interest is tax-deferred until you take it out. As an independent advisor, I'm proud to be able to offer the highest guaranteed rates anywhere in the nation. Call AIP Financial Services today at 866-247-6663 to find out what you could be earning on your safe money. Stand up. Hello, Positive Patriots. You're invited to tune in every Saturday, noon to 1, on FM 101.5 and AM 1400. We're also on Facebook.com forward slash Positive Patriots Show. Evolution, not revolution. Yes, tune in to the Positive Patriot every Saturday, noon to 1. Hi there, Hugh Hewitt. I have a book that you've been waiting for, the one that totally uncovers the anti-Trump movement within the Washington establishment. My good friend Byron York, you know him from Fox News, the Washington Examiner. He's on my show all the time. He's got a brand new book. It's called Obsession, Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump, and Byron Brings the Heat. Obsession is a must-read. He's the political correspondent that you always trust anyway. But now we've got officials and members of the Trump defense team on the record. All of the stuff you want to find out about what happened with the special counsel, what happened with the impeachment, what happened with Ukraine, it's all in Byron's new book, Obsession. Look, the opposition will stop at nothing to prevent Donald Trump's re-election. Now is the time to get the facts. Read Byron York's penetrating new book, Obsession, inside the Washington establishment's never-ending war on Trump. Available from Amazon and wherever books are sold. Obsession by Byron York. Obsession by Byron York. Now more than ever before, a radical agenda by the far left is destroying the bedrock of this great nation. We must protect conservative ideals with our votes and in our homes. Watch America's Town Hall 2020, available for free on SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, Charlie Kirk, and Larry Elder discuss how we reclaim our country from a democracy that's under attack. America's Town Hall 2020. Visit SalemNow.com. To watch. Hello, friends. This is John McCullough, and I've got some exciting news. Now, in addition to listening to us on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, you can also stream us live on Radio.com. Here's how it works. Just go to Radio.com, tap Choose News Talk Radio, and then scroll down to WDTK The Patriot. It's that simple. Or you can just pick up the Radio.com app. Either way, it's fun, sounds great, and you're going to love it. Check us out today at Radio.com. Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MediShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for health care right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has a special offer, and a lot of people are taking advantage of it. Simply apply by October 30th, and they will waive your new member fee. That's $170 savings. And, of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that has shared over $4 billion in medical bills, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call... You can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 844-57-BIBLE. That's 844-57-BIBLE. 844-57-BIBLE. 
You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. As you know, every week we do our best to bring you great topics and information. Um, and we are going to switch gears and have um, House Representative Love with us um, during this segment to be able to share from her heart um, what's happening in the industry with our seniors. She has had the privilege to be on the actual task force that was created uh, for uh, COVID-19 and the nursing home uh, scenario. So I am going to first um, introduce her, and, and, and ha- I have a couple questions for her just with the, with the task force. But Representative Love, why don't you share um, a little bit about um, the journey that you were selected on with this, with this task force? Well, hello, Wendy, and thank you for having me on your show. Um, Yes, so I was appointed by the governor to serve on the Nursing Home COVID Preparedness Task Force with a series of other uh, industry professionals, people who work in the industry, um, legislators from both chambers and both sides of the aisle, to um, come up with some recommendations for the governor on how to proceed should there be another um, COVID-19 outbreak in our nursing home. And so I was honored, and I think the governor um, noticed my work (laughs) since the beginning when we heard uh, about the outbreak in Michigan. I was concerned because my mother is a nursing home resident, and when I was visiting her, the staff there were telling me something's about to happen, something's going on. They have us preparing areas, this whole other wing. I think they're about to start accepting um, these sick patients. And I kept asking people, do you know anything about this? Do you know what they're doing in the nursing homes? And no one in Lansing was responding to that question. And I said, is anybody working on this? Is anybody working? It's like, you know, the little chicken who uh, says, is anybody going to help me knead the dough? And so no one was raising their hands. I was like, we've got to look after the seniors in the nursing home. So I got busy um, with getting the answers to the questions that I had. And I was thankful that the governor's office, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, the Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs were responding to my questions and um, was able to provide some insight. So I had been an advocate because I'm living it through my mother and um, just wanting to make sure that our seniors who are in congregate care facilities are not forgotten in this pandemic and that we take care of them just as well as we're doing people who are in the hospitals or who are recovering at home. Right, 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 right. And we appreciate that because, I mean, and I, I didn't know that you had a personal um, loved one. So that means a lot, actually, because you're really on the front lines um, with your mom. Tell us a little bit how that experience affected you personally. Were you able to do the window visits? I did. The, the first experience was terrifying and, um, and upsetting. It was tremendously upsetting. I got a phone call that they were moving my mother, um, that COVID had struck her facility and that they were relocating people. And in this conversation, I understand that they were, this facility became a hub and, and everything. And so I was like, well, where are you moving her? Does she have all of her belongings? 
and the person who made the call to me couldn't tell me anything other than your mother's being moved. Someone will call you later with details. No one ever called me. And as many times as I called there to say, can you give me the details? Where is my mother? There was nothing. So fortunately, I was able to get in my car to drive there. And still, in person, could not get any answers because you couldn't go in the building. It was a complete lockdown, and I was kind of freaking out. Like, just let me know she's okay. Does she have her cell phone? Does she have a TV? Does she have a roommate? Because she's living by herself, and I'm afraid, like, you know, about the contagion rate. And so the fact that no one was communicating any information to me um, was very upsetting. And here I am, a state representative who showed up in person to the facility and couldn't get an answer. And I thought, how many other families and care providers are going through this? This isn't right. We've got we've got to do something here. And so, as they say, I was ten toes on the ground uh, on this, and and I have gone through every emotion mm-hmm. <laughs> in this process, from the rest to oh, okay, I understand. We're okay now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so I did the window visits. I've been able to go in when things settle down to do a care visit. Um, I visited on the porch uh, outside on the patio. We did the video call. So I've, I've gone through all the maturations of this. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. And let me let me ask you this question because, I mean, we've been talking to families every day. We get calls that come in consistently from our families and what you said in the beginning of your story is exactly what I've been hearing is the communication from the nursing homes has not been the best um and one of the things I actually went to the um to the committee meeting in Lansing a few I think it was last month and actually proposed some type of a report card or communication card or a care card that the that the facilities would send to the families every week, giving them an update, because I agree with you. I, and you got to remember there's hundreds of residents in these nursing homes and you know, the caregivers were a little short staffed. So we've had a multiple, you know, a multifaceted problem going on at the same time, but the most difficult part is not knowing, right? It's the unknown. Exactly. And those care workers, um, in nursing homes and other congregate care facilities, um, I think we we highly underrate them and unappreciate them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more focus on the healthcare, the healthcare industry in terms of nursing homes and congregate care facilities, and the people who work there, treating them like the professionals and paraprofessionals that they are. Um, adequately compensating them and having insurance that covers them because it really, the quality of your worker will determine the quality of care that the resident or the senior receives. And where there are well-compensated, happy workers, you will see a very happy nursing home um, and the residents there. And when those workers are not happy, the residents will not be happy. Um, and, And so it's a direct impact on the quality of care and the rating that a nursing home would get based on whether they have good staff and appropriate enough staffing uh, to take care of the needs in that facility. So it's so critical, um, the people who work there. And it's not, it's not a job that someone should take lightly. It's very, very hard work. It's like being a kindergarten teacher. No one should do this just for the pay. You've got to have some passion and, and authentic care about seniors if you're going to be in that environment. 
Right, right. And, you know, the other thing, just because, um, you know, we're kind of on the front lines and hear these stories, is I actually have administrators and executive directors that run these buildings that literally moved in to the building and lived in the building during this pandemic because they were so concerned about their seniors and their staff. So I I think a lot of different people handled it differently, and I want to applaud those uh, nursing homes that did rise above and took a step above the rest because it is it was the most difficult time in many people's lives and I really feel that some of them truly did rise to the top um, and and I just want to say a thank you a huge thank you to those because it was the Absolutely. most difficult time yeah yes. so I agree Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and to your point about the caregivers, um, you know, I've I've been on Channel 4 a couple times and, and been basically stating that, you know, we need to care for our caregivers because our caregivers are caring for our seniors. And if we can support our caregivers, that gives them the ammunition to support our seniors. And so I tell families all the time, when you go into a nursing home, you know, bring some sweets, bring some treats, bring some, you know, show them love. Uh, because that's, you know, they're, they're caring for your, your loved one. And the hard part was during this eight months, obviously they couldn't do that. It was very, very challenging for anyone to, as you know, even get close to their loved one, not alone a caregiver. So yeah, I think we did suffer on, on kind of all areas of that. Um, but I do, I, I, I hear that we're on the other side of this. And so, um, we only have one minute left, so I don't want to get into the new. Maybe in the next segment we'll get into uh, the new uh, the new in- information that just came out regarding nursing homes. But really quick in this last minute, um, can you share a little bit about your time on the task force? I know something was proposed on August 31st. Do you feel that some of those things that have been proposed were able to be implemented, or do you feel that there was some hesitation on that? Like, what, what's your thought process as far as the implementation of that? Well, in fact, just um, last week, uh, there were two bills passed out, one out of the House, my bill, and a Senate bill um, that took up, well, first of all, I had a package of bills that were um, very heavily um, kind of parallel with the task force recommendations. And, and so we had introduced that legislation, and um, what happened is that a senator then took pieces of each one of those bills, and we created one kind of placement bill for that, and a visitation, it covered visitation and placement uh, of residents and how to designate um, or de- declare a designated unit. And okay, Representative, I'm going to... I'm going to bring you into the next segment. we got to take a quick break, okay? Stay with us, listeners. We'll be right back with you. Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with spinal stenosis? I'm Dr. Marion McMillan, Medical Director of Synergy Spine, Michigan. Spinal stenosis affects 50% of people over age 60. Patients with spinal stenosis cannot stand, walk, or enjoy normal activities without severe pain in the back, hips, and legs. Now, spinal stenosis can be treated through a lighted tube no larger than a pencil without the risk or expense of major spinal surgery with rods, plates, or screws. The endoscopic surgical procedure is performed on outpatients in about an hour. Patients go home the same day and can resume normal activities in just a few days. It's the modern alternative to major spinal surgery. 
Contact Synergy Spine Michigan toll-free at 833-770-8100 or at SynergySpineMichigan.com. That's 833-770-8100 or SynergySpineMichigan.com. Hi there, Hugh Hewitt. I have a book that you've been waiting for, the one that totally uncovers the anti-Trump movement within the Washington establishment. My good friend Byron York, you know him from Fox News, the Washington Examiner. He's on my show all the time. He's got a brand new book. It's called Obsession, Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump. And Byron brings the heat. Obsession is a must-read. He's the political correspondent that you always trust anyway. But now he's got officials and members of the Trump defense team on the record. All of the stuff you want to find out about what happened with the special counsel, what happened with the impeachment, what happened with Ukraine, it's all in Byron's new book, Obsession. Look, the opposition will stop at nothing to prevent Donald Trump's re-election. Now is the time to get the facts. Read Byron York's penetrating new book, Obsession, inside the Washington establishment's never-ending war on Trump. Available from Amazon and wherever books are sold. Obsession by Byron York. Obsession by Byron York. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Were you lied to when buying a timeshare and want out? Get the facts about timeshare cancellation. Call Wesley now for your free information kit. 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. We're here uh, right now interviewing House Representative Leslie Love, and it is a blessing to have her on the show. I think it's really critical uh, that we just educate ourselves on this entire process and really not so much looking back but looking forward. Uh, My goal on this program is to really just bring good information uh, for you to understand what's happening in our industry and what we can be doing about it. And I just encourage everyone to take action. If you have a senior in your life, reach out to them, send a care package, send a care package to our caregivers. This is a time that we really need to wrap our arms around um, our wise, knowledgeable, amazing seniors. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Representative Love was just talking about um, the bills, and thank you. She, she on her own was putting together bills even before this task force, it sounds like, because of her passion. So God bless you for doing that. Thank you, Representative Love. Thank you. Yes, we were, um, I gathered a group or I invited legislators who all had these um, COVID hubs, nursing home hubs in their district to become a work group to figure out legislatively what did we need to do and what could we do to help. And uh, that became a group of five of us. And it was a bi- it was very important to me to do a bipartisan package, mm-hmm. and so um, that's what happened um, in the House chamber. And 
the end result was two bills that came out of that and that also took up some of the recommendations of the task force, a bill from Senator Pete Lucido and myself. Um, his passed last week, and my bill passed out of the, the House and the, finished in the Senate yesterday, in fact. I think it was Wednesday. Congratulations. <laughs> so they're both on the governor's desk now, and mine is a data bill. You know, if you remember at the beginning, everyone was we didn't have any information. Where were the cases? Um, how many people were contagious? Who died? Who was infected? Um, where did they come from? So do we have enough PPE? So mine will definitely help inform um, the administration as well as all of us um, of where we are in terms of the virus and PPE and how do we make sure that we equip people with what they need to um, fight back this virus. Right, right. And so then, um, and I appreciate you doing it, and I think that's excellent, and I'm thrilled that um, those are on the governor's desk right now. Let me ask you this then, uh, moving forward with the task force. Um, I was thankful uh, that we had a task force. I'm not going to lie. I wish it happened a little sooner than it did. Um, But moving forward, I'm glad that it did happen and that those um, recommendations were presented on August 31st. Can you touch a little bit on what was presented, just so our listeners are aware? Oh, there were several things, and it covered um, basically about, like, three pools of, of, um, of areas. One was um, the what we call now care and recovery centers um, for nursing homes of how do you, what facilities can house COVID-positive, contagious patients or residents um, separately to mitigate the spread of the virus in a facility, how do you do the step down from a hospital or finish your, your non-contagion phase if it's um, 72 hours or less in a hospital. And then the third component of that was, or the, the second component, I'm sorry, was um, the, how, how, how do you say the word, um, I can't remember what we called it on the task force, but it's the well-being. Mm-hmm. It's um, the visits and the mental well-being of staff and the residents there Uh, and so that was a part of it as well so it kind of covered and staffing and that was the third one staffing what do we do in terms of staffing we know that it's an industry that has it has a lot of turnover it's oftentimes short on staff and how do you solve for that so part of that included also the you mentioned earlier Wendy care packages send them to the staff send them to the residents um, all of those things are helpful, um, the mental well-being, because it's very stressful for, I call them first responders, our heroes in nursing homes, too. So everyone's under a tremendous, um, was under a tremendous amount of pressure and in extraordinary circumstances, because we've never been here before. We're right. just responding, and now we can be more proactive and prepared. Right, right, right. So in reference to, and I think one of the, the biggest things that people are looking at right now is the COVID-positive patients that could still be coming, right? Um, so what was the conclusion, and was there one, on where our COVID-positive patients would be going as of right now in the state of Michigan? They have special hubs, is that correct? So it depends. If the governor signs um, Lucido's bill into law, there are um, policies that are listed there. If you're still contagious, um, but you only have 72 hours left in your contagion phase, then it's asked that they finish that in the hospital. If not, if they are already a resident of a nursing home, that 
they can return to that nursing home, and the nursing home would have to be able to provide a designated unit for that patient. Or if the nursing home has a, is, or a facility is deemed a care and recovery center, the person can go to the care and recovery center until they're no longer contagious. So in the beginning, like my mom had the quarantine, she had coronavirus, and she had the she quarantine for a long time, for over a month. But remember in the beginning, you had the quarantine for 14 days, and now they say like now you just need three days, uh, you just because that's when you're most you're contagious, it's, it's, and then you can go on and go back home, or if you're in a nursing home, go to your nursing home. Mm-hmm. So there is that's the way that. Um, in a a kind of general way of how that's going to be handled if this legislation moves forward and signed into law. Okay, so we should know, we should know shortly, I'm hoping, because from what we've heard, you know, COVID positive may be on the rise again um, in our, in our various counties. And is it, is it true it could be handled county by county? I think that was another topic. um, And I don't remember. visitation, right. That visitation part, whether or not you can come in to visit would be handled county by county depending on the infection rate in a particular area. And so um, nurse, each nursing home, one under the advisement of what's, you know, the data and the science that says this is what we know about the infection rate in this particular area, and then come up with policy about that. And that's a part of the legislation, too, too that these nursing home facilities would have to um, submit a visitation policy as well mm-hmm. and let people know, even the residents and their Right, right. Okay. Um, is there any, we've got three minutes left in the program. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners, um, you know, maybe regarding your, your bill or something you may have wanted to be part of it or um, from the task force perspective, whatever? Yeah, we've got about three minutes yeah. left. Okay. So I, I think I would just want to share that my personal journey on this, it has, it's been extraordinary. I never thought that. Um, at the end of my term, that this would be an issue that I'm so passionate about, I'd have an idea and wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go, let me go look online and see who's doing this. Like, did anyone else have this idea? And so um, I was really driven to try to uh, really figure it out. And because when I go visit my mother and I see all those other moms and grandmothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, um, in these facilities, uh, my heart just bled for them, and it makes you think of your own mortality, too. You know, if we're fortunate enough to live into our senior years, um, no matter if we are able to live independently at home or if we need the care of a, of a place like a nursing home, we just want to make sure. I think when people live this long life, this amazing journey called life, that when you get to your senior years, that you still should be honored and respected and treated with dignity. And I want to make sure, and I think it's a, it's a, a grade, it's a judgment of how we are as a society and our humanity, how we treat our babies and how we treat our elders. And it's important to me that we take care of them. Um, and so I am glad that today um, my mother's in a much better place um, mentally, physically. I wish we could get in, like, you know, and visit, but... The coronavirus doesn't allow us to, you know, do what we used to do. We, you know, now you have to have an appointment. There are um, care visits. You can call your nursing home and ask for a care visit so that you can go in and um, and see your your loved one in person. So one of the things. 
things that I have a ritual. I do my mom's hair and I do a facial and her nails when I come and visit. And, um, and she missed that tremendously, that human touch. And so when I'm able to come in and do a care visit, it's, it's really wonderful for her. And it, and it is for me, too. So I just think of, you know, that's something you can't do through the window or through those video phone calls and touch and just to see someone really face-to-face in person, it really means a lot. And so I hope as we go through the rest of this year into next year that we figure out a way to um, make sure that mental and emotional well-being of everybody involved is put forward yes. in the conversation. And I, and I totally agree with you 100%. Um, and I feel like, you know, this is a bipartisan issue, obviously, our seniors reaching across the aisle, coming together, believing that we together can make a difference in the lives of our wise, knowledgeable, amazing seniors. Thanks for tuning in. Again, you're listening to WDTK 101.5 AM 1400. Be blessed. You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. I'm Brian Kurtz, president of AIP Financial Services. A fixed annuity is similar to a CD at a bank. They both give you a guaranteed interest rate for a certain period of time and are very safe. Fixed annuities, though, typically pay a higher interest rate than CDs, and the interest is tax-deferred until you take it out. As an independent advisor, I'm proud to be able to offer the highest guaranteed rates anywhere in the nation. Call AIP Financial Services today at 866-247-6663 to Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.